0: Before we get started with today's show, I wanted to tell you about another great podcast, First Draft, with Mel Kuyper Jr., Todd McShay, and Field Yates. The NFL Draft is only a month away, and for the latest on Pro Days, Rumors, Mock Drafts, and more, check out First Draft. New episodes every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. Coming up on this episode of The Right Time, we're going to go through some NBA stuff. Also talk about your stories about hurting yourself just because you old. But first, all right. We have a Final Four that I assure you has the good folks at Turner, CBS, and everywhere else like, damn, really? For real? Um, We have got in our Final Four, uh, Florida Atlantic. We got Yukon. We have got Miami. There we go. Miami's in it. And what's the other one, Parker? I forgot already. Parker, Dan, what are y'all? What's the other one? San Diego State. San Diego State. That's right. Yo. And you know what makes it bad for those is that the schools are just recognizable enough across the board that we don't think of them as Cinderella types. Like Florida Atlantic is a school you've heard of, right? You know some things about, and they were a nine seed. It doesn't feel like it's got like a Cinderella to it when it really comes down to it. Miami, it's a similar place, though it's not a great basketball program historically. They're a little too good for you to feel like it's an inspiring story. San Diego State is in a somewhat similar place, right? And then you wind up on the other side with UConn, which has a blue blood resume but does not resonate with people like that right like i already thought about this this in this season if you make it the 25th in the span six final fours with three different coaches and four national championships as it stands no team in that stretch is one more national championships than uconn has now Two of them were quite memorable. Two of them were a couple of the most forgettable teams that I could ever think of winning national championships. But that almost makes it a little doper in terms of talking about what they're doing or what they've done. Like Jim Calhoun to me is the most underrated of the all-time great coaches. I feel like you win three national championships, you get into all-time great coach standpoint. And he's doing that at UConn. And look. I ain't really out here trying to throw shade on the place necessarily, right? But I want to just throw this out here for the people from down south, okay? Because when you are from the south, we know about what they call the tri-state area, right? New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. And as a result, as a southerner, we have a tendency to lump all that together and think of it all as kind of like being New York. Right, like my brother moved to New Jersey in 1995, I want to say, right. And when we talked to family and even me at that time, he'd be like, "Oh man, your brother's up there living in New York," right? Like we think about these places as being like New York, we just don't know that much. They do the same thing to us. They think New Orleans the same as Atlanta is the same as everywhere else, right? We got a tendency to lump it in. I think I told you about when I moved to California. I thought I was moving to L.A. I was not. I was moving to Southern California, maybe the greater Los Angeles metro area in some ways. But let me tell you, when I landed in Ontario, baby, it wasn't no movie stars. Just throwing it out there. It was some palm trees, but you find out they everywhere. So anyway, I bring that up when it comes to Yukon so I can tell you a story. So my father is from a town called Odell, Louisiana, right in the middle of Louisiana. It's not a very large town by any stretch of the imagination, but my dad did the grind, you know, got out. He can't go back all-star in his own way, you know what I mean? And he is a uh, political science professor and he would go do talks, you know, various places. And he told me about the first time he did a talk. Honestly, I'm assuming it's the last time, but he did a talk at UConn in stores, right? And he said he got there, and he was like, oh, the North, the North. he had been hearing so much about the North, the North, right? And he got there, and I'm going to paraphrase this because it's white people listening, but his quote is, oh, this is just Alabama with no black people. Parker, go ahead. and you, Your nod, you can confirm? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Uh- I've lived in Connecticut for the last year and a half, and I have taken to living in Syracuse instead because (laughs) it's just Alabama with no black people.
0: Yeah, I'm just saying, right? And I ain't got no problem with Alabama. It ain't no shade. I'm just saying all that to say you might think that just because UConn is up here that getting players wouldn't be that hard. And I'm telling you, you'd have a hell of a hard time getting me. That's the only point that I'm here to make about how impressive a job Jim Calhoun did. Because at least the cats that were coming after him had the success of Jim Calhoun to build off of when they were getting this thing cracking, right? At least they could pull that off. No, 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 no. Like, what they did there was borderline miraculous, right? And then Kevin Ollie came in. Won a championship. They had that downtime when they just decided to ruin that man's reputation. There's a whole lot of weird going on with that. But Dan Hurley, the man can coach. Like, that was the thing I found when I was watching those teams. And, you know, I'm not. I've done something on television about the nepotism and coaching and all the problems that come with it. And there does not appear to be a direct correlation between your dad being a good coach and you being a good coach or whatever it is. And very clearly, maybe there's a correlation, but Bobby Hurley does not appear to be nearly as good a coach as his little brother, Danny appears to be. He was Danny when he was in college, by the way, he got grown and decided he was just going to be Dan. But however, did not get grown and decide to spend any money on his clothes. Anyway, um dan hurley's teams if you read uh adrian warjanowski's book uh the miracle of saint anthony about bob hurley and what they did in jersey city at saint anthony's high school it's very much a pressure man-to-man defense leads to transition offense sort of system like that's what the game is is we are going to really overwhelm you with intensity um, it's not terribly different than the Mike Sheshewski approach of the early portion of his career. Like pressure defense is going to turn into everything else that we do. And I don't watch enough Yukon to really tell you exactly how they get down, but that show as hell is what it looked like when I was watching them. They was gonna get in your chest, they're gonna make it hard for you with the ball, and then it's gonna come back the other way. But the program just doesn't hit people in blue blood way. Like people talk talking to me and they're like, yo, man, well, UConn is definitely they become a blue blood you don't become blood, you know what I mean? That's not really how it works. There may be a chance in like 50 years or farther down the line, like the Pittsburgh Steelers, for example, in the NFL now feel like a blue blood but up until the 1970s were probably the worst franchise in the NFL right like they had to turn around and they sustained it for long enough maybe that happens Indiana and college basketball is in a weird space where by the definitions of blue blood they would be one right like you don't hear that much about the Rockefellers these days but they still blue bloods right they money still old it still go but Indiana don't mean what it did at one point right I think we'd all agree about that one a program like UConn in the last 50 years, it's hard to argue that they have not been more successful than Indiana has been. Indiana's got that undefeated season at 76, but that's about to fade out of the sample as it goes down. But you look, I mean, I looked up and somebody hit me in my mentions and was like, they haven't even been the best Big East program in the last 25 years. And I'm like, I get why you're saying that. You're trying to lean toward Villanova, but I'm looking at the one that's got four championships and you talk about the one that got three. And the one that got four championships again. With three coaches. And it's possible they could get another one. Like of the teams that we've seen in the tournament so far, does anybody look better than UConn? So it's gonna be interesting to see how this plays out. I want to take this time also to speak to another underrated figure when you go back and look at the history, and that is Jim uh Yaga. I don't know if we call him Laren Yaga. Do we still call him Laranaga? For those of you who don't know the story, when he was at um George Mason, he was Jim Larenaga. And then he went to Miami and he got some Cuban, he he Cuban. And so he got down to Miami and was like, I'm going to bring the tilde back. And he put the little squiggle over the end again and decided to like go by. the I I don't know if he decided to go by the new, the old new pronunciation or he just put it down there on a piece of paper as a shout out. I don't really know, but he went back to being that. I looked up and one thing I didn't realize, I think he's been there now, like 11 years. Maybe 12, somewhere in there. They've been to like four Sweet 16s since he got there. This is the, they went to the Elite Eight last year to go with now going to the Final Four. The man's been to a Final Four at George Mason and at Miami. Keeping in mind that Miami is a place where they want shut the doors on the whole program. Yeah, that's pretty damn impressive. It don't make me want to watch on television, though. Like, that's the thing. Like, where the tournament has now gotten, which I think is an interesting place, and it's not necessarily bad, but it's not as good as it could be. It's become kind of like a high school state tournament in the sense that the allure of it is entirely the stakes. Like, your decision to get in and decide you're going to watch this is because of the stakes, what's involved but it's just not about the quality of play and the quality of the players. It's not. It's not. There is, is there anybody left in college basketball to draw you in and make you want to watch because it's that person, because it's that team, because it's that coach, because it's that player? Is anybody doing that? I don't think that's what it is. And look, in the meantime, I've gotten to watch some good games. Like that little 45-year-old dude for Kansas State was balling. What's his name? Noel? Bro, I looked it up. He was a junior three years ago. I'm not exaggerating. Parker, you look stunned. Yeah, I was a junior three years ago. (laughs) He was a junior three years ago. He was a junior at Arkansas Little Rock. And look, shout out to him, man. That boy wanted it bad. He took his ass to Little Rock and then went to Manhattan, Kansas. And I mean... I hope you like Europe. Like, don't get me wrong. I think he could be a very, very strong European player, but a dude, his size, you know, the NBA, is probably not happening. Man, he wanted it bad, or he just ain't want to come back to New York ever again. I don't know what it was, but it was dope seeing that dude in New York City, and I didn't realize this. Put you on some games. You watch that Kansas State, Michigan State game. I don't know how much they talked about it in the broadcast, but he and the starting guard of Michigan State Both for a little while played in the same AAU program in New York City. And Noel couldn't get his run. And so, like, the story of his life, if you look at his resume, is I couldn't get no time. So I went to go somewhere else. So he got to square up against that dude in the tournament in New York City. And on one leg, he put up 20 and 19. Y'all love that. That's a dude at a different point in time would have been famous. Like, he would have been somebody we all knew. It wouldn't have mattered about the NBA or anything else, but why would I have caught up with him or seen what was going on before now? You know, why would that happen? So I think the Final Four itself will probably be good or can be good because the stakes are going to make it there. But if you are just kind of a casual fan of college basketball, which I guess I kind of am right now, but I work here, I don't know why you're doing this. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what exactly it is that draws you in to check out this tournament. It's like something I got a buddy of mine that used to work at, Nielsen, and he told me about this. Put you on some game here. The whole thing about the Cinderella is we like them early. We want them gone late. Like they add a little spice early in the tournament, but late, we want names that we know. We want recognizable programs. Like we got Carolina Duke in the final four last year. You wind up with Carolina and Kansas in the championship game last year. That's why it's going to be interesting to see the numbers just because not that people love the players on those teams or knew those teams, but they know those jerseys. They know the history. Carolina and Kansas, of course, their history is so overlapped in so many different ways. Bro, they might mess, up or mess around and get Miami and San Diego State or whoever. I don't know who plays who, right, in there. It's entirely possible they could get that. And that's kind of sort of new college basketball. This is what it is. All y'all that say you want a level playing field, you better prove it by watching. Otherwise, you're going to learn. No, actually, we like a little stratification. We like our basketball. We, we like our college sports to have a chaos system. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training. Just in time for summer and warmer days. I've been in the gym a little bit trying to get my fitness in check so I can break these skinny allegations I keep getting Peloton All-Access membership and NBA League Pass subscription required.
2: boy
0: i tell you you guys know i used to be a very frequent tweeter and i don't really get down like that no more and part of why i don't really get down like that no more is i can't even it feel at times like i can't even make benign statements right somebody gonna get charged up The whole bot army that's decided that I'm the most important person in the world, they all going to jump in. Like I say, I don't know who put me on the list, right? And maybe everybody, whenever you send a tweet about something, all you get is a bunch of trash back, right? That's been my recent experience, makes it a little bit unpleasant for me, but it's life. So I want to say it's on Saturday, minding my own business, and I see that the Dallas Mavericks have suffered an embarrassing loss to the Charlotte Hornets. In his post-game press conference luka Doncic says that uh he he can't smile no more he's having a hard time out here smiling it's very difficult you know um and important to note he mentioned that he's dealing with some personal stuff right he's got some things he's working through happens to the best of us my man but I kind of came across this because I was uh looking on Twitter and I think it was Kyrie that I saw trending, and so I clicked and saw, you know, got to the top Kyrie tweets and saw this, that, and the third that people had to say about him. And I started to notice this theme of people basically looking at what's going on with the Mavericks and basically blaming it on Kyrie. Like right now, I don't think they're even in the play yet, right? And so this is being you know, this is being put on Kyrie. And I think as I saw it, that like the point of origin was Dave Portnoy making this point about, look how sad Luke is. And it's because Kyrie is there and, you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm not thinking about him. I'm looking at, honestly, the conversation that I see under Kyrie Irving's name is going around and I'm like, look, you say what you want about Kyrie, but Kyrie has played winning basketball on three different teams and boy. You'd have thought that I said that Kyrie Irving was the greatest point guard of all time. You'd have thought I said that Kyrie Irving should be wearing number 23, because that's how good he is. I said that Kyrie Irving's played ba- played on teams that have won in three different places, right? And I feel like that's incontrovertibly true. It's, it's difficult to say if, if you believe the only winning that counts slash matters is winning a championship. My point was simply this, and this is what I was trying to say, and I clarified it, but people don't want to listen. Kyrie's history is not such that you get him, you put him on your team, suddenly your team gets worse. The history with Kyrie is you get him, you put him on your team, you got a reason to be excited at first, and then after months or maybe a year and change or something like that, the wheels start coming off. But for all of the problems with him, he's not the guy that is like instant cancer. Right? He's not just showing up and boom, all of a sudden your whole thing falls apart. That's not him. He and Luca on the floor together, the Mavs are three and seven. Okay? Kyrie without Luca there, the Mavs are three and one. You see what I'm saying? The point that I was trying to make, and I think that this is an important one, when looking at Kyrie and Luka and the Mavs and everything that's happening with them, this was always going to be an uneasy fit. Like, we looked at them when they first got there, the two of them together, and we're like, I don't know how this works because their games are so similar. Or even in the ways that their games are not similar, Kyrie has demonstrated a willingness in his career to play off the ball, right? He did it with LeBron. He did the same thing with James Harden. Like, being willing to play off the ball is not his struggle. In fact, he's probably more of a two-guard who's point guard size, but he's willing to do that. Luka's a guy that doesn't necessarily play well off the ball. That's never been his bag. But we saw one of those early games where they had one of those last shots and the two of them just kept passing the ball to each other because it felt like the right thing to do, but nobody could get it right. But they, it was going to take a while for them to figure out how to do it. And then you wind up with both of them having some injuries, Luca got another tech, so he ain't, you know, he's going to wind up being suspended and all of those things. They haven't had a chance to work that out on top of the fact their roster is not very good and the coach doesn't appear to be that good either. All of that together. That ain't on Kyrie. That's it. Man, every single person that I felt like responding to me was coming down and that whole thing was just, you trying to say Kyrie is not a cancer? I'm like, dude, it don't, cancer don't work that fast. Not, not even the pancreatic, you know what I'm saying? Like, it don't get you that quick. That's all I'm saying. And it was, oh, look at you out here. Uh, why would anybody defend Kyrie? What are you talking about? Like are, you, like, are people really that stupid at this point that once you decide that you are on the other side of somebody else, you can't acknowledge the little things that take place and happen along the way? No matter what side you happen to be on, are you really unable to to do that bottom line is Kyrie Irving is still an incredible basketball player. And in the right situation on the floor can make your team better. It's all the other stuff that winds up being an issue, but the on the floor stuff with the Nets, the reason that the Nets didn't win a championship. If it's tied to Kyrie, is because he got hurt in 2021. If he doesn't get hurt in 2021, they probably still win a championship with James Harden on one leg. They almost got to the conference finals except Kevin Durant wears shoes that are too big. You see what I'm saying? Like, that's what's so wild to me about so much of the discourse that I see. And of course, man, you can't take social media to mean but so much here. But there were professionals who jumped on this because the Boston delegation still mad at Kyrie. Still fierce. mind that everything has worked out just fine without him, right? That you didn't really have to give up anything to get him. Right, what you gave up. Uh, hobbled Isaiah Thomas a couple other dudes and what turned out to be a pick that was used to get Colin Sexton at a time when the last thing the Celtics needed was another young guy Like hey, y'all good y'all straight but the Boston they have the hardest time letting it slide so I send a tweet that says wow Boston is at like, like Nets fans aren't half as mad and I said there are more Celtics fans but still Oh, ha, 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 you say there ain't no Nets fans. There are more Celtics fans than there are of y'all. I ain't got time to count how many of y'all it is, but we would all agree it's more Celtics fans than Nets fans. Therefore, you'd be more likely to hear from Celtics fans than Nets fans. Does that make sense to everybody else? Because it made perfect sense to me. However, I'm surrounded by dummies. Everywhere I look, it's a dummy and they just mad and some of them a little tinge of sism just a taste just a taste i'm not saying that by the way about the professionals who were saying this just to be clear i don't want you running and telling and trying to act like because it was rusillo who came back at me so i want to be very clear about this i'm not being passive aggressive about what it is i'm talking about the people who responded though you could go look under the Rossillo tweet and see what it is that I'm talking about. you would be like, ugh, I detect a tinge. Rossillo just mad Boston. I'm not saying that to imply that people in Boston got racial animus. I'm saying that to say that people from Boston be mad. And I think that part is indisputable. That's across the racial spectrum. You meet some black people from Boston. They be mad as hell too. They all, why don't y'all move? Like, if I, if, I, if I was somewhere and I was that mad and everybody around was mad, I would just move. I told y'all about what happened that time I was walking with Calvin Johnson, right? For those of y'all that don't know this story, I did the Sloan Conference last year, Calvin Johnson, and some people were waiting on him because they were trying to play the autograph collectible game. And Calvin, the nicest man in the world. Did that feel like signing autographs? He's been delicate about it. He's walking away. Some dude in a Boston Bruins shirt. And he's like, he got a jersey. And he's like, oh, come on, Calvin. Come on, Calvin. Come on, Calvin. And he's like, oh, man, you knew you weren't going to. We came back and you knew you weren't going to sign these autographs. And he's like, up, Calvin. F- up. I would wish you a nice flight, but I don't. I hope your plane f- crashes. What? That's how Boston gets down, man. Y'all just surly. Y'all just surly, and Kyrie be bringing it right back to him, and he be hitting them in that little sore spot they got. You know what I'm saying? When he come out there and burn that sage, they got the right to feel disrespect. You can't walk in nobody else's house and say they got evil spirits. You don't live here. You know what I'm saying? Like yo, yo, I get, I get the beef. I get the qualm. I see, well, I, I see where this stuff comes from. I do. I promise. I promise. But. We are allowed to be able to notice the differences in things that happen. And with Kyrie, this is the part where he can run well, especially where he got to be on good behavior to get his money. I'm not saying go sign him to a long-term deal. I'm just saying the Mavericks had bigger problems than Kyrie before he showed up, and the problems they had, he was never going to be the solution to. It was a desperate play, right? It didn't really cost the Mavs very much, but it was a desperate play. And heretofore, it has not worked. It happens uh in related news uh lebron's back uh for the lakers i think i saw he said that he has a he's gonna go have surgery with the lebron james of foot doctors which bro all you had to do was say his name because if it's the guy that i'm thinking about we all know who he is like there's a foot guy in charlotte i want to say like i want to say Derek jeter had a foot surgery with him but that's all those all those different orthopedic uh surgery like wings there's a guy right there's there's the guy you go for this there's the guy you go for that uh what's his name um who's the dude that uh, Dr. James Andrews right he became the ACL guy I mean the 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 Tommy John guy right like all of that stuff that's how it goes yeah I'm looking at this here Derek Jeter undergoes ankle surgery and I think the guy's name down there is Anderson but you could have just told us that yeah Robert Anderson that is his name I bet that's the guy that LeBron will go to for his foot surgery. And I guarantee you that Derrick Jeter did not refer to him as the Derrick Jeter of foot surgeons. I bet he did not. This is my thing. I think I got two levels on this. One, learning to play with LeBron James is not easy from what the NBA people tell me. And they got all these new guys that have worked out pretty well for them. And now you got to figure out how they're going to work with LeBron James. This is no judgment of any of the parties involved. But that's going to be an adjustment at a time where I don't know who all has time to adjust. Right? Like that's going to be the thing that they have to figure out. Number two. As LeBron made sure that we knew that he actually needed surgery. I wonder why he did that. Anyway. He's not 100% and I think we talked about this on the show before, there was no chance that they could afford to wait for him to be 100% because they need those wins so bad. So what we're talking about is a dude in his 30th year, I mean, excuse me, in his 20th season. Wow, I said 30th, I made him old as hell. Hey man, you never know how long it'll take, Bronny, to get to the league. Anyway, um, it's it's his 20th season. He needs to have a surgery. He is still going to be on the floor. I hope this all works out okay. Like, this is a lot to ask of all parties involved, but he can't shut it down, right? If he can play at all, he has to try to play. I wouldn't bet on him being able to play that much if it's already at the place where they are. Because look, this man's threshold for pain and ability to play through injury and physical malady is unreal. It is maybe the most underrated part of the LeBron James legend. It's just how indestructible he has been, which probably means just how willing he's been to play through excruciating pain. Like this is not a dude that you have to question whether he's willing to do it. Like if LeBron say he can't play, then that means LeBron can't play. I, however, wonder like in all this stuff stacking up and how it went. Any Mets fans anywhere? Dan, you a Mets fan, right? No, I'm a Blue Jays fan. Oh, I gotta, you know, oh, that's right. You I from? Got, I have a little Mets love, but mainly yes. Blue Jays. Yeah, I forgot you from the you from Canada, New York. Okay, I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know how much that traveled over. But with the Mets, does anybody remember that time that Johan Santana ended his career throwing a, what was it, a perfect game or a no-hitter? No-hitter. I think it was like
1: 143 pitches or yes, something. Yes, it was 143
0: yeah. pitches. and yeah. It was after his arm was just about done, and we knew his arm had problems. And we knew at that time, because it was a real dilemma about, hey, do you take a guy out? He has a chance to throw a no-hitter. He decided that getting that no-hitter was worth the, end of the rest of his career. He was never worth a damn after throwing that no-hitter. Never was. LeBron made a decision that he was going to break the scoring record that night. Everybody was there, right? Everybody showed up. He had the headphones with the number, the the stuff on his shoes, everything else. He basically like planned his own wedding. You know what I mean? Like He had decided that this is when I am going to do this. And that whole game, it was very clear that the only thing he was thinking about was that. And he was dunzo for the rest of that game. And as I recall, he had to miss some games after that. This injury that came subsequent, I can't say necessarily that it's tied to that. But you do have to ask a question as to whether or not there's a certain like John Henry quality to the way that the end of this season has gone for him that he pushed so hard to get to that record and what he did to push to get to that record that night, how much of that stuff lingers through the rest of this season. Because they needed that win that night and they needed some of those wins after when he could not play. Clearly, they still need every win. They were going to play their next home game on national television in LA. Like It didn't have to be that. Like, there was not a need to really push. Because you remember at the end of that game, I don't think he could even play late. Like, he broke the record and couldn't score again because he was just done. He just didn't have anything left. And I do wonder, as the rest of the season plays out, if there was a long-term toll from being so insistent upon doing that that night with something that we knew was going to happen. But where we are with him, and this is going to be interesting to see in the playoffs other places too, like with Kevin Durant. These dudes are old and get hurt all the time. Like, if you were trying to convince yourself the Lakers can make a deep playoff run, you're saying you think LeBron and Anthony Davis can go two months together without getting hurt after Anthony Davis has already logged like a month himself without being hurt, right? So he's already on the clock. You know, like, do you really think that that's going to happen for them? That's so much to ask, but where we are, like with Durant, and, and both with LeBron and Durant, they came back and had these injuries that ain't even really look like injuries, is old right and it's just easy to forget that these are older players that this you know this is where they are because it's crazy that lebron's in year 20 obviously kevin durant's only three years younger than him you know so we're gonna see what happens the west nobody has any idea what to do with the west like i was uh checking out a clip on jj's podcast where he was running through the lineups that have played the most games together in the west and basically there are very 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 few lineups in the Western Conference that have played 40 games together. Everybody's popping in and out. Everybody's popping in and out. Like, I think Denver's starting five and make one switch for Porter, but they're the ones that have stayed healthiest the most. We don't know what any team in the West truly looks like. Like, that's the biggest advantage that Denver's had is that they've stayed healthy and their star hasn't got caught on camera pulling guns. You know what I'm saying? Like, that allows you to have all your people out there together. But the West is just going to be mystery, top to bottom, right? I'm leaning Denver because why not? Why not? I don't have, I mean, the why not for them is that they don't play great defense. Everybody else has a giant why not. They got the best player in the conference that I can trust is going to be playing. I don't trust that Kevin Durant's going to be playing. They got the best player in the conference. I'll lean there. Understand some of you guys think Luke is the best player in the conference. He might not even be in the play-in. But hey, shout out to the play-in. It looks like it's going to be cracking. We know you can't be on top of all the news and information of the day. No need for the social media feeds. We got you. Now, if you haven't heard. Alright
1: Bo, first story this week comes from Tech.
3: Hi, this is Hassan Chaudry. I'm a technology reporter at Insider. Since the release of ChatGPT, OpenAI CEO Sam Altman has put Silicon Valley on notice. As the creator of an AI chatbot that can ace SATs, write poetry and code like a pro. The Stanford dropout has shown the world just how powerful AI can be, but researchers are increasingly worried that AI could do a lot more harm to the world than anyone could possibly imagine. In fact, experts go as far as saying that the impact of AI could be even more consequential than social media. Given that social media has scrambled our brains and in many ways poisoned our politics, that's a serious cause for concern. In my reporting, I found experts were particularly alarmed at just how quickly Sam Altman was looking to release AI to the public, given all the misinformation it spews, as well as all the racial and social biases it consistently shows. But none of this seems to be stopping Sam Altman from unleashing this technology. OpenAI has managed to secure a multi-billion dollar investment from Microsoft since the launch of ChatGPT, with the company seemingly prepared to release this deeply flawed technology for commercial use to the public. Researchers indicated how it's all reminiscent of the way in which Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg put profit over ethics in the expansion of his social media empire. And they're now worried that OpenAI Sam Altman will do the same. What seems to be even worse for AI researchers is that OpenAI hasn't in fact been very open at all. The company, which started as a non-profit, is now all about making profit from a black box technology that it refuses to lift the lid on. Big question now, then, is if social media helped make a Donald Trump presidency possible, what exactly could AI make possible?
0: Man, listen, I was doing a call at work a couple of weeks ago, and somebody got the bright idea to put into one of those AI bots to talk about something like old money jones and brother let me tell you something i'm like i don't talk like that (laughs) like i'm trying to find it right now um in my email i just want like i want to be able to uh to to let everybody understand that like yeah i don't i don't i don't i don't talk like that <laughs> like that that was all it is i can't find it right now but they put in some topic and they had it going and if you read it it would sound like a white person like hey as white person hey talk like a boy and that's what i mean that's basically how it reads that's how it goes and so i bring that up just because when they start talking about all the racial biases and everything that go into it yeah man like this is it's all this stuff is as much about the person who programs it as anything else and so we are just kind of leaning in blind faith that i think that people are operating as though this is a computer program that is made by a computer program like we treat it as that is as though it is like a distillation of logic that is so dispassionate that it just you know that it just goes into hey it's, it's okay it's the bot but the bots all start with people And so what you're going to wind up doing with a lot of this stuff, I think, is codifying a lot of discriminatory stuff, shall we say, just to use it as a broad term, but offhanding all of the accountability and responsibility for it. Like, remember, I was talking about part of the analytics movement in sports is it allows people to shift accountability to the numbers and remove it from themselves. And you're going to wind up with a lot of that with all this stuff. People are like, hey, so we, you know, So that we'll cut down on discrimination. We'll just let the bot do it. But if a discriminatory person or a set of people are the ones that are programmed to bot, then you're not eliminating discrimination. You're just getting rid of the discriminator whom you can blame. That's all you're doing. So yeah, no people have jumped in on this so quickly because honestly, you guys are just lazy. That's just, all this comes down to is you are lazy. Lazy, lazy, lazy. Like, and I realize... So when I got to grad school, it was a very important turning point in grad school when you realize that you need to go to class because you need to learn the stuff, as opposed to the idea that going to class is something you do because they say you're supposed to. Right? And so that's what I think about whenever I see the thing about they're like, oh, well, the students are just putting the the you know, putting something in the chat bot and having the chat bot write their papers, and then they turn the papers in and they go from there. And I mean, okay, but you the loser. Like in the end, you do have to fundamentally realize that you are the loser. You're the one that comes out because you don't get what you're supposed to get out of this process. You're the one that winds up catching the L. But it's just too, it's right there. Like I think I told you, I saw someone, they were like, "Yo, we're gonna raise the question as to whether or not they're gonna teach people how to write essays because the bot can do it. As if there's no value in you knowing how to do it. We are dumb. Well, I mean, not we, because that would involve me. But there's a lot of dumb out here. Maybe it's not
2: you, but it might be.
1: Alright, next story is from Crime and Politics.
2: My name is Jacob Shamsian. I'm a legal correspondent at Insider, where I cover big legal cases, including the expected indictment against Donald Trump, possibly coming as soon as this week. If you haven't heard, the Manhattan DA's office is overseeing an investigation into whether the former president broke state laws. Maybe campaign finance, maybe falsification of business records over hush money payments made to Stormy Daniels, who claims she had an affair with him. Michael Cohen, who's Trump's former personal lawyer, executive of the Trump Organization, personal consigliere, you can say, um, says that he facilitated these payments and has the records to prove it. Um, and has been cooperating with the DA's office. In recent weeks, he finished testifying in front of, in front of the grand jury, which is, expect- he is expected to be one of the last witnesses. And then Trump's team presented a rebuttal witness. His name is Robert Costello, also a lawyer, who says that basically Michael Cohen's a liar and and full of it. Now, there are a few more steps that the grand jury needs to take. They may hear from one or two more witnesses. They also need to get charging instructions, meaning that prosecutors are going to tell them, you know, here's a here's a voting process, you grand jurors have to vote to bring this indictment, here's how the process works, and they need to actually do the vote. The jury is understood to be regularly meeting on Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday afternoons. So we could see an indictment as soon as Monday, uh, if not, we can, we can probably expect Wednesday or Thursday, again, depending on if there are any more witnesses who need to come and how long the voting process will take. Normally, grand juries are, are pretty quick, so we could definitely see something happening this week. Can they
0: hurry up and do this, please? <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Can they just hurry up and get this over with, and then we could go from there? I'm going to ask this question sincerely, though. Donald Trump gets indicted. Is anybody actually going to care? Like, I don't know. And this is not a good or a bad thing. I mean, it's not... I question whether this society has the capacity to pay attention to Donald Trump anymore like I just don't know if he can command the attention span to where even an indictment for him will matter and the the thing that is interesting about that for me is this dude is probably going to get indicted and without shame is still going to run for president of the United States he's just going to do it like, you got a case hanging over you in this day and age, and you can still run for president of the United States. That ain't about him. That's about us. And that is bananas. Like, just as a thought and as a concept that our faith in institutions has dwindled so far that that can actually happen. And who knows? There might be more stuff that winds up coming down the pike. And then there's people that make the argument that part of why he does all this running is so they won't ultimately throw him in jail, everything else. Da-da-da. Okay. Got it. All I'm saying is, y'all got tired of the Cavs and the Warriors. LeBron James and Steph Curry in the NBA Finals, and y'all got tired of it. LeBron James and Kevin Durant in the NBA Finals. And y'all got tired of it. You really go. They can't give me no Trump Biden again, man. I can't do this again. I already know how that went. I already know how that go. I don't want this. I don't, I don't want any parts of this whatsoever but something i have seen i don't know if you guys have seen this um there's this one cat i forget who he was who had said that if the american people if, the, if uh trump gets indicted that the american people will not stand for it and this man said that he'd get out in the streets and lead the protest and then they came back and he was like yeah i think i might be a little busy uh best of luck to him though like that squad has moved away They decided that's not a winner. It was always a conditional relationship to begin with over there. So if Trump gets indicted and nobody really cares, then what? Like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that says, but I think we're about to find
1: out. All right. Last story is from the world of education. No reporter audio. so I recorded it myself. A tentative deal was reached Friday to end a labor dispute involving the Los Angeles Unified School District and tens of thousands of union workers who staged a three-day strike. The union that represents 30,000 teachers assistants, bus drivers, custodians, and cafeteria workers was asking for a 30% pay increase and a $2 per hour increase for the lowest paid workers, among other increases in compensation. And by the looks of it, their demands were met. 75% of the students and families in the Los Angeles Unified School District live at or below the federal poverty level, and the union workers had been operating without a contract since 2020. Mayor Karen Bass facilitated discussions between the sides,
0: the office said. Yo, so when I had seen this story, I thought it was a teacher strike. I did not realize it was the cafeteria and janitor strike. Oh, LA Unified never had a chance. I just want you to stop and take a moment to think about this. Imagine a school bathroom... A school bathroom after one day of no janitor. Oh, you ready to come to the negotiating table yourself and you don't even live there? Ain't got no cafeteria workers, hungry ass kids walking around school. Can you can you imagine anything worse or more terrifying than a bunch of hungry ass 13-year-olds? I don't know why they thought they was going to be able to make this work, right? The cops are the only ones that make them understand, like, oh, snap, we might need to do what they want to do, right? I don't ever hear about no police strike. Like, sometimes they, like, quiet, quit on the job, but I don't ever hear about them having to threaten to take it to the streets or go pick it or nothing else because everybody understands. They're like, oh, man, we don't want, you know, we, we, we don't want this to happen, da, da, da. Yeah, totally get it. I'm sorry. I don't know how a janitor strike don't shut everything down. Like if that's how it goes, like, cause California, their union game is a little different. Like when I got out there, I didn't realize like the cashiers at Albertsons or at Ralph's at the grocery store, they're union. Like they live pretty decent. Dog, can you imagine what, what happens when ain't nobody there to uh, ring up your order at the grocery store? You can shut everything down. Yeah, it is like oh, what, these <laughs> these janitors, they need the money that bad. Yes, they need it so bad that they need more, but since they don't have enough, they don't need what you give. Boy, I can't imagine how sticky them floors were when they came back. Yuck.
1: The school's closed for those three days, by the
0: way. Oh, yeah, That's an important detail, Dan. There's no way. They were like, nah. I mean, you can't feed them. You can't feed them. Like, I just don't know how did, the, how did LA Unified think this is going to end. They have all the leverage your kids can't take a piss without hitting the floor they're the ones who clean it up and you thought you had leverage like i met the i met the superintendent uh carvalho i met him at an event this summer he seems to be a very well-intentioned man um i think he cares a lot about trying to get stuff done he likes being on television obviously like he's that sort of dude like he's a miami guy and he kicks it just like pat riley he got the pat riley hair He got the whole situation, right? But I came away with a positive impression of him. I think I sat at the table with him and had lunch. Nah, man, you wasn't gonna win this. You wasn't gonna win this unless you was gonna be out there yourself in that fancy suit mopping them floors. You had no chance. Teacher's like, yo, so who gonna clean this up? Okay, well, we just not opening schools. Got it. Hey, this is Bomani. you have reached the right time, voicemail. Say whatever you want, get creative with it, but this is your place to talk back to the show. So talk back. Peace. All
1: right, voicemail topic this week, we wanted to hear from the audience about the time that I got injured just by being old. Bomani, you are old, the oldest one among us here. Have you ever gotten injured just by being old?
0: You didn't really have to put it like that, but no, I, 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 I have not had an injury for old situation yet. I do everything in my life to assure I will not get injured. I will never play basketball again because that means injury. guarantee. I'd like to play some tennis. Sounds injurious. Don't really want it. All right. Here's the first voice,
4: Hey, Omani. So my getting old story is uh, my fiance asked me to pull the slow cooker out of the pantry. And it was probably on the highest shelf there. And I keep in mind, I'm an athlete. Uh, I work out, do all that stuff. And I'm about 38 years old at the time. And she's like, hey, can you grab the uh, slow cooker for me? So I go in there. I just reach up to grab it. And my shoulder literally gives out on me. And I'm doing nothing. And this is about March. And it took six months for me to uh, to get back in the gym and and get back active just from reaching for the slow cooker
0: damn damn yikes all that's all i got i'm doing this so the rest of y'all understand it ain't just you you know what i'm saying like your body is not the only one that has grown defective like it seems like i used to have a, a toyota camry and the engine was fantastic but it was the door handles that stayed breaking off, right? And I feel like getting older is basically a lot of you hopping in your car from the passenger side because the door handle on the driver's side is now inoperable. All right, here's the next one. Bo, that welcome to 40 moment hit me hard, brother. Ton of bricks. I'm out doing a sales consultation with one of my reps. We're doing the thing. We go outside to have a little debrief conversation and then all of a sudden, it felt like God struck a lightning right through that left hip. That sciatica hit me and dropped me down to one knee like I was doing the t Bow slash Kaepernick. <laughs> hit that one knee. My sales rep looks at me and goes, are you okay? I said, nope. I think Jesus is mad at me for something that I did in my previous life, and I'm paying for it right now. Appreciate the fact that you never know what that feels like because it hurts. Man, that's sciatica. I ain't never heard nobody be like, I got a minor sciatica situation. (laughs) Like, the thing about the sciatica is, I don't even know what people, when their sciatica goes bad, if it's actually the sciatica. Like, is that just a broad term that we've used for all things under that heading? But nobody be like, ah, sciatica, what's the big deal? No, the deal is huge. All right, last one. Hey, Lomani.
4: I am also turning 40 years old this year. I was at the park with my son. He is nine years old. And we were throwing the ball around. Some 13-year-old kid rolled up and was like, hey, are you a personal trainer? I see you working with little man. And I'm like, no, I'm not, but I can help you out a little bit. What what are we doing with that football? So, you know, throw a couple of out routes to him, tell him to work on his footwork. And I'm like, you know, he been practicing his sprints." And he was like, yeah. And I'm like, he's us? And he was like, yeah. So I'm like, all right, let's race. I haven't ran since because me and that 13-year-old lined up. I said, go. We were even for about 20 yards. I heard something pop in my left leg. I had to call my wife to come and get me. I couldn't even tell her why. I just told her I got hurt. Throwing the ball line with my son. That is age. That is turning 40. We don't run no more. We do brisk walks and the old man shuffled.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't have a sprint in me. Maybe a trot, a gallop, but a sprint. Man, I had to sprint to something the other day, and I felt my ankles, like, it was just like, oh, I need to, like, and I felt my ankles get wobbly, and I was like, yo, I'm going to stop right now because they might collapse right here, right now, in front of everybody. And how would I have said I broke my ankle? Putting one foot in front of the other. That would have been it. Couldn't be me. Anyway, happy 40th birthday to our man, Darnell Foxworthy. This is his 40th birthday. That is the motivating factor for this. So, I mean, he played football. So I don't think he got these stories. He got these stories about what happened when I turned 25. That's a little different. But hey, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Right Time. We do this three times a week. Parker Owens and Dan Dancing handling everything behind the scenes. Thank you, gentlemen. Also, thanks to our, if you haven't heard, contributors. Thanks to Hassan Chowdhury of Insider. Check out his story on OpenAI at Insider.com. Thanks to Jacob Shamsen of insider check out his story on donald trump's expected indictment coming remember follow the right time rate us review us give us five stars you only give us four stars i'm inclined to believe you are a hater we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days take it easy thanks for checking out the right time with bomani jones podcast
4: you can listen or follow on the espn app or wherever you listen to podcasts
0: the right time
4: with bomani jones